0: All right, walking in wisdom. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. Uh, they are all related. We're going to skip over one section, chapter six, because it kind of changes themes midstream, um, and we'll have that covered next week. Stephen will be with you next week covering that section. We're going to cover most of chapter five, Proverbs chapter five, Proverbs chapter six, and Proverbs chapter seven. And I've titled this this study tonight wisdom for your marriage because it deals with uh, marriage and temptations to be unfaithful in our marriage so we're going to talk about that tonight in some detail all right proverbs six, five, six and 7 so we're going to start in proverbs chapter five let me pray for us and then we're going to jump right in tonight and to see what the lord has to say to us father We come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you so much for your mercy and grace and love and thank you for your presence here tonight and thank you for those that are here tonight. And I pray, Father, that you would just encourage us, edify us, build us up, uh, help us, Lord, to uh, honor you with our lives and and in our marriages. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace in Jesus' name, amen. I know the crowd's small tonight. This is the week of July 4th and we expected that, but this is a very important topic, so uh, I asked Joey to be sure that we got it recorded, so we'll have it up on the website, and we will uh, get it to uh, anyone that, that wants to listen to it. You can listen to it on the, on the web, or get a CD from the office, or go to iTunes, listen to it, we'll, we'll have it available uh, for you. But look in Proverbs 5 as we establish what th- this section is really all about. The Bible says, my son... Give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulterous drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. And so we see here in this passage, this is in your notes, a father preparing his son for a specific situation. So we've seen kind of general thoughts from a father to a son about acquiring wisdom and walking in wisdom and staying on the right path. But now starting in chapter 5, the father's going to be very specific and and deal, deal with the issue of temptation to be unfaithful to his spouse. The temptation to be unfaithful to his spouse. That's what the, the father is preparing the son to guard against. So that's what this section is all about. There are five truths that I want to give you. That help us to unpack the themes here. We're going to be jumping all around in these three chapters, now, so just be ready to to turn the pages because we're picking up major themes that are repeated throughout these chapters. And by the way, that's how proverbs work. Is is proverbs is not laid out in a linear fashion. Just kind of you know here's the premise and here are the supporting points and and here's the conclusion. It, it, you see themes and then you see themes repeated and repeated again. And so we're going to kind of look at those that repetition in our text. But first of all, let's talk about the reality of temptation the reality of temptation verse 1 of chapter 5 my son give attention to my wisdom incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion your lips, and your listen to reserve knowledge why look what he says for the lips of an adulteress drip honey so he's saying you need to acquire wisdom and knowledge listen to my teaching because of the real threat of an adulterous woman. Uh, we have some sheets there. Melvin, wave your hand. He's got some extra sheets if you're coming in late. Melvin, you got the extra sheets there? Uh, Melvin can you get those to you. Or we got some in the back there. Okay, good. Uh, and so we see here the reality of temptation. The father sent to the son. You need to listen to what I'm saying because there are going to be some people out there that tried to lead you astray and lead you into unfaithfulness in your marriage. Look in chapter 6 with me, verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. For what? Here He says it, verse 24, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So the writer of Proverbs here is very clear. You need to listen to me so you can be on guard uh, for the... The the woman, the adulterers that will lead you astray from faithfulness to your spouse. Now look in chapter 7, verse 1. Same thoughts here. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. That they, here it is, may keep you from an adulteress from the foreigner who flatters with her words. So, again, listen to what I have to say, so that you will not be led astray by the adulteress. And so we see here the reality of temptation, the specific situation of temptation to be unfaithful to your spouse. And so here's the two things you need to understand as we think about the reality of temptation. First of all, temptation will come. Temptation will come. If you think temptation won't come, you're just naive. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. New Testament, this is a passage you need to mark in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, look in verse 13. Good verse to commit to memory. Look what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 13. He writes, "...no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man." In other words, temptation is common to everybody. "...and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it." And so, Paul writes, "...everyone is tempted, but understand when you are tempted that God is faithful, and His faithfulness is exemplified in that He always provides a way out. He always provides a way of escape." So whenever you are tempted and the temptation is strong, you need to be looking for the way out because it's there. You know why? God's faithful. He provides that way of escape. So temptation will come. It's common to everyone. It will come in the areas of our marriages. So we need to be ready for that. And so we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard. Look at the, the verse right before verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore... Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Uh, We should never say it cannot happen to me. We need to be on guard because when we say it cannot happen to me, we are targets for the enemy. Sometimes the greatest weakness is an unguarded strength. And so we should be on guard, be aware of temptation in the areas of our marriages, and we should uh, watch our lives and watch our hearts and, and be on the lookout because temptation is sure to come, the reality of temptation. That's why back in Proverbs five, the, the father is addressing the son, so he will be on guard in this specific area of his life. The reality of temptation. You know, when 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 two people get married, and you know it's the wedding day, and everyone's happy, and everything's great, and you know they're, they 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 fell in love, and they found their their soulmate, and all of that. And at that moment, they would they would never think, that couple would never think that infidelity could touch their marriage. They would never think that in a in a million years. And and if a couple like that's not careful as they live and the pressures of life come on them and they begin to just live in an unguarded way, they, they their marriage is wide open for the attacks of the enemy. The reality of temptation. Now, let's talk about the ways of the tempter. When temptation comes specifically from someone, what does that temptation look like? We know that Satan is a tempter, but here we're going to see that Satan uses people to try to tempt you away in un, to unfaithfulness. And so what are the ways of the tempter? What does the father tell the son to look out for? So look back in Proverbs 5. The first thing is flattering, persuasive words. Flattering, persuasive l- words. There in chapter 5 of Proverbs, verse 3, the father says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. And so he's saying, be careful, because when someone tries to lead you astray, they're very likely going to be very, very smooth, and their speech is going to be very, uh, very flattering and persuasive, her lips are drip honey notice what he says also in proverbs chapter 6 verse 24 same idea proverbs 6 verse 24 he said i want to keep you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue isn't that interesting the smooth tongue of the adulteress then look in chapter 7 verse 5 he says that they may keep you from an adulteress from the foreigner who flatters with what Her words. And then look with me in verse 21. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And so we see one of the primary tools of an adulterous person when trying to lead you into infidelity is speech. Lips that drip honey. This could be true with with women that are trying to lead uh, men astray and, 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 and men that are trying to lead women astray. Those that are trying to seduce someone into infidelity uh, will come with smooth, flattering speech. And that's why it's so insidious. That's why it's so dangerous. You know, you've heard me say before that no one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to commit adultery today. That's not how it works. It happens over time, and you make small compromise after small compromise, and before you know it, you're trying to bump into that person. Before you know it, you're eating lunch with that person. Before you know it, you're alone with that person. And, 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 And infidelity happens and so it often happens with someone flattering with their words you're so great your your spouse doesn't appreciate you if you know you're 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 just a wonderful person and and flattering with words their their lips dripping with honey so we need to be careful of folks that that flatter us and persuade us in the wrong direction those are the ways of the tempter also sensuality sensuality is a tool that the tempter will use Look in chapter 6, verse 25. Chapter 6, verse 25. The Bible says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. So so he's saying she's going to try to seduce you with her physical attractiveness. Look what it says. Nor let her catch you with her eyelids. Don't let her her catch you with her eyelids. Seducing looks, uh, sensual looks. Look over in chapter 7, verse 10 talking about the the young man we'll talk a lot about this young man in a moment because the bible says he lacks sense but look what it says in verse 10 behold a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot in cunning of heart. So she's dressed in a certain uh seductive and suggestive way she is boisterous rebellious her feet do not remain at home she is now in the streets now in the squares lurks by every corner she seizes him and kisses him with a brazen face she says him so this is Physical seduction. She's trying to seduce him to do the wrong thing. And she's using her sensuality to lure this man away from faithfulness to his spouse. And so we've got to be careful of, of, the, of the, the tempter or the temptress that would use physical seduction to try to lure folks away. By the way, this is why I, I warn folks about about gyms. About going to gyms by yourself. And you're there with a bunch of other men and women and, and the nature of gyms are people don't wear a lot of clothes at gyms. And 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 there can be something sensual happening in that environment. And people say, Wade, you're silly. Well, you haven't sat in my chair and heard all the stories I've heard. And and I'm just I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Gyms are a meat market. They are. I'm just telling you. And so if you're in a gym, that's fine, but go with your spouse or go with someone of the of the of same sex as a friend that that can be uh, that can watch your back that makes sense so I mean if you want to do that it 's fine that there's not, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with a gym but just be just be cautious be cautious of that I mean it, you, you don't want to just go in there alone and and no one watching your back and, and 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 just out there open to the sensual seduction of another the the tempter often used that also and this is I thought this was very interesting we see that the tempter will often hide behind a veil of decency. A veil of decency. Look what the Bible says in chapter 7, verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14. This is when the the woman comes and tries to tempt this young man into infidelity. And in verse 14, she says, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. You know what she's saying there? I did my religious duty today. Uh you know I'm I'm I, I'm a Christian. I love God. I believe in God. A- and often what happens is when someone's trying to lure you away, they will they will hide behind this veil of decency and act like they're a person of integrity and a person that 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 has the same goals you have and 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 you know they're just trying to do the right thing and and it just feels right. I know this might be wrong but it just feels right and and all this kind of stuff and, and, and someone it, it may try to put on this front of being even religious. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian too. And, and, and maybe we're just soulmates and we missed each other. And, 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 they'll, and they'll put up this veil of decency. Now, now let me just be very, very clear. I've already hit on gems and made some folks mad there. So let me just go to the next step. Someone that's trying to seduce you to commit adultery on your spouse is not a good person. They've got some serious character issues. They need Jesus. Is that clear enough? I don't care what they say about their religion or their decency or their integrity or what kind of person. I'm a good person. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're not a good person. They're trying to get you to break a covenant relationship with your spouse that you made before God. They're not a good person. Now, is there forgiveness? Yes. Is there restoration? Yes. Can God change someone's life? Absolutely. But just understand, when someone in the moment is trying to seduce you to do the wrong thing, they're not a good person. If you try to seduce somebody to do the wrong thing, you're not a good person. That makes sense? you got some serious issues that need to be addressed. Serious issues. And so, uh, just understand when the temptation comes, they may have this veil of decency up to try to close the deal and make you think that they're okay and you're okay for being with them. I thought that was interesting. Also, the ways of the tempter, there's a this is good. It's not good, but it's 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 so practical. A a promise of secrecy. Oh, this is this is big. A promise of secrecy. Look what happens in chapter 7 verse 15. She said I've gone and paid my vows, done the religious stuff, Therefore, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I've found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. Listen, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. With many persuasions, she entices him. And so what she's saying, no one will know. My husband's gone. It's it's going to be secret. No one will have a clue. There's this promise of secrecy. And guess what? That just never works out. Do you understand the Bible says your sins will find you out? How many of you heard that verse before? Your sins will find you out. There is is no such thing as secrecy. And I'm going to show you why in a minute. There is no such thing as secrecy. And so if you think you're going to commit adultery and get away with it you are fooling yourself you're living a lie you really are and that's what that's what he's saying here this woman's trying to seduce you persuade you there's this promise of secrecy but that ne- the secrecy never works out i'm just telling you it never works out david thought he got away with it didn't he but he didn't So that's the reality of temptation the ways of the tempter that's that's the the, the tools they will use but let's talk uh, a more p- positive aspect about how you escape from that temptation. Okay, Wade, it, temptation is real. There really are people out there that will try to lead me down the wrong path. I need to be on guard. I need to be ready. How do I escape when that temptation comes? What does that look like? Well, first of all, you got to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Look in chapter 5, verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. This is verse 1. That you may observe discretion, your lips I may reserve knowledge, for the lips of adulterous drip honey. Notice the connection there. You need wisdom to prepare you for the temptation from the adulterous woman. You've got to walk in wisdom to avoid that. Now look in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment of God, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman. So notice here, when you acquire wisdom, when you, when you tie it around your neck and you, you keep the commandments of God close and obey them, it keeps you from doing the wrong thing. Same idea in chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words. Treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. My teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend. That they may keep you from an adulteress. Maybe it's not a bad idea at work to have an open Bible on your desk. What do you think about that? Just say, hey, I'm a person of the book. And this book here is a reminder to me. I've got to stay on track, follow Jesus, obey his commandments, walk in wisdom. Because if I don't walk in wisdom, I am a, I'm wide open for the, the onslaught of the enemy. Walk in wisdom. You see, back to our original definition of wisdom we had it the first lesson in Proverbs. Wisdom is insight into life revealed by God that should be acquired and acted upon. That's our definition of wisdom. Insight into life revealed by God that should be acquired and acted upon. So if you have that wisdom that comes from God, it's going to protect you. Because where does wisdom come from? Look in the next sentence. If you fear God, remember the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you fear God and stay in his word, his wisdom will protect you from making foolish decisions. Look in chapter 7, verse 24. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has cast down. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. So he's saying, if you will listen to my words, if you'll keep my commands, if you'll walk in wisdom, you'll be protected from going down the wrong path. You'll be warned, and and, and you'll make the right decisions. So the first step to escaping the is to walk in wisdom. Being a person of the book. Because if you'll be a person of the book... You will be on guard, and you'll be ready when the temptation comes, and you want to honor God in the midst of that. Now, here's the second thing, very practical, all right? Don't put yourself in compromising situations. I found that when I'm trying to watch what I eat, it's best that I don't have a pack of chewy chips Ahoy in the house. Because I'm just telling you, I'll eat the entire pack in one sitting. Quickly. And then I'll, and, and if there's some left, I'll hide them from my family so I can eat the rest of them later on. My kids, they'll go through some cookies. But anyway, we, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to make sure we're not in the wrong situation. We don't even put ourselves in that position, that compromising the situation. Where does the Bible say that? Well, look, turn to Proverbs chapter 5. I want to show you this. Proverbs chapter 5. Verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others, your years to the cruel one. Strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. So here's what he's saying. Don't go near her. If there's someone, man or woman, trying to tempt you, to, to be unfaithful to your spouse, you don't need to be around them. You don't need to bump into them. You don't need to, to, to hang out with them. You don't need to stand in the water cooler and talk to them. You don't need to stand there, uh, you know, in your yard and, and chat with them for a while. You don't need to get on Facebook and message them. You need to stay far, far away. There is no shame in running from a compromising situation. As a matter of fact, over in 1 Timothy, when 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 Paul's writing to Timothy about being a man of God, he said, if you want to be a man of God, you need to flee immorality. You need to, you need to run. Get out of Dodge. If there's a, a, a tempting situation, get out of that situation. Same thing said over in chapter 7, verse 6. Look what happens in chapter 7, verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the, the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. So why was he lacking sense? Well, look what it says in the next verse. Passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, what do you expect? A woman comes out to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. He's saying this young man was naive and foolish because he should have steered clear of the woman's house, but he he, he made sure he walked by her house. And what do you know? He found himself in a compromising situation. You've got to make a decision on the front end whether you're, uh, you know, uh, married or whether you're a young person. You got to make a decision on the front end. You will not put yourself in compromising situations so that you're not even in a situation to to do the wrong thing. Don't do that. Now, now next, realize you live an accountable life. This is so important because when people get in get tempted by this sin, and began to go down this path, they put these thoughts out of their mind, all right? And these are thoughts we ought never to put out of our mind. Look what the Bible says in chapter 5, verse 21. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of who? The Lord, and he watches all his paths. You You can be unfaithful if you want to, but you need to understand God's watching you. And God sees every step you take. God knows everything you do. God is watching your life. And you need to understand you are accountable to God. It matters how you live, right? He saved you. He's been gracious to you, he's changing you, and he has expectations for your life. He knows what's best for your life. He knows what will destroy you and what will fulfill you. And if you ignore what he says and go the wrong way, you will reap the consequences of that, that, that decision. But understand, you don't ever get away with anything because our, our paths are before the eyes of the Lord. He's omniscient. He sees it all. He knows it all. And then look. In chapter 5, verse 12, not only are you accountable to God, you're accountable to others. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. And you say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So he's saying here, when I did this thing, when I was unfaithful, I, I had to go against sound teaching. I knew better. I had folks that loved me and cared about me that told me the truth, and I went against that sound teaching to do this wrong thing. Not only are we accountable to God, we're accountable to each other, right? You know, it, it's kind of a, a byproduct now in weddings, but and it's become just kind of t- uh, tradition, and we don't really understand why it happens. But, you know, when someone gets married, there's a witness, right? Two witnesses. They have to actually, still in Mississippi, have to sign the marriage license as a witness to the marriage as if to say we saw what you said we heard what you said we were there when the covenant was entered into and so we're a witness that this happened so if you're going to be unfaithful you've got to go against those who know what you did the decision you made and have warned you to go in the right direction so we need to live an accountable life. Understand we're accountable to God, we're accountable to each other, and and open ourselves up to that accountability. I heard this years ago, and it's, it's always stuck with me. Um, Chuck Swindoll did some research of of pastors that had fallen into immorality. And he did some interviews with these guys, because he said, he's, I started to look around and I started to see some folks that I knew well that I was in seminary with, people that I was Friends with in the ministry, and I began to see people just just bite the dust and fall by the wayside. So I did interviews and talked to them and wanted to hear what was going on. And he said, with every situation, every minister that fell into immorality, he said, I found two common themes. Number one, they had stopped having devotional time with the Lord. They'd stopped spending time in the Word and time in prayer. And so what happens when that happen when when you start to stop spending time with the Lord, you 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 forget you're accountable to the Lord, right? Second thing was, they had no accountability in their life with another person. No one that could ask them hard questions, speak into their life. And so, for a pastor to fall, they had to lose their sense of accountability to God. They sp- quit spending time with God, and they had to keep other folks at arm's length and not be accountable to anybody else. And those were the two common themes that every pastor that Chuck Swindoll interviewed uh, had. Uh, in common and so we need to make sure that we are spending time with the Lord daily that we know every day he's our God he's our Lord we want to honor him with our life we're accountable to him the, the eyes of the Lord are on our paths and we also need to make ourselves accountable to other people have some folks in our life that can speak truth into our life they see some issues they can they can tell us they have the permission to tell us and, and they can ask us really hard questions uh, every Thursday morning I have a pastor friend and we meet together, and we ask each other some tough questions about our viewing habits, about our financial integrity, about how we're treating our, our spouse and our kids, and, and we ask each other some really, really, really direct questions. And the last question we ask is, have you been completely honest with me? You've got to say yes or no. And If you say no, you've got to go back and tell them what you were, were not dishonest about. And that's a tough time, but it's an important time because it reminds me every week, not only am I accountable to God, I have some accountability built into my life with other folks that care about me, all right? And so if you don't have a relationship like that or, or a group like that, I want to encourage you to, to pray about that and, and ask God to show you who a good accountability partner may be. And then I can put you onto some resources, some questions that are great accountability questions to ask in that context. So realize you live an accountable life. That's the way to escape from this temptation. And here's the, the last thing and the most important thing in terms of practically staying away from this temptation. Enjoy the blessings of intimacy with your spouse. The best defense is a good offense, right? So make sure that you have a strong uh, relationship Romantic relationship with your spouse. Turn back to Proverbs 5 with me. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. Should, you, should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone, it says, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your Youth, uh, verse nineteen says, "Be exhilarated always with her love." So we need to we need to enjoy our spouse and enjoy the blessings of intimacy with our spouse. Turn to First Corinthians with me, chapter seven. I want to show you this in the New Testament. Look what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. This is talking of intimacy. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so Paul there is clear. If if you aren't together intimately, romantically, as a husband and wife, your marriage is wide open to the temptations of Satan. I've heard this uh, statement before, and it is so true. Listen to it carefully. Satan does everything he can to bring two people together intimately before marriage and everything he can to keep two people apart intimately after marriage think about that same as everything he can to bring two people together before marriage intimately everything he can to keep two people apart after the marriage because when that's not happening their marriage is wide open to the temptation of infidelity and so the escape from temptation is walk in wisdom don't put yourself in in, in compromising situations Realize you live an accountable life and enjoy the blessings of intimacy with your spouse. Make sure that that there is uh romance in your marriage. Uh work on it. If, you, and if the romance is is lost, then pray that God would restore it, that God would make it like the days when you first fell in love and your heart beat fast and 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 uh you know you, you you'd uh if you weren't married yet, maybe live in a separate place you step on not talking on the phone or whatever but but just ask God to recapture in your life that that romance uh, with your spouse and I believe God will restore that and God will will give you that and 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 that romance is so important that romance is a defense for your marriage So just be aware of that that's part of the the escape from temptation and then fourth let's talk about the price of infidelity It's important to keep this in mind because in in the heat of the moment, people aren't thinking of the end result. They're not thinking of the consequences. And Proverbs here, in a very stark way, shows us the consequences. Look in chapter 5 with me. Chapter 5, verse 3. The first consequence is destruction. For the lips of adulterers drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, again, when people are are committing infidelity, they're not thinking about the end. But the end is, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She's not pondered the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. And so there is this destruction. Look in verse 22. His own iniquities, the one who is unfaithful, his own iniquities will, will capture the wicked. He's caught by his own sin. He'll be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. In his greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Look in chapter 6, verse 26. We're talking about destruction here. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. An adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a ma- Listen to this. Can a man... Take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned. Can a man walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? In other words, there are consequences for unfaithfulness. So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery, listen, with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Pretty clear, right? The the outcome of infidelity, the price of infidelity is destruction. And that may look different ways in different people's lives, but I'm just telling you, infidelity destroys lives, destroys marriages, destroys families, destroys children's hopes and dreams. It is destructive, and Satan loves to wield this temptation to lead people to destruction. There are also physical consequences. Look in chapter 5, verse 11. You groan at your final end, and your flesh and your body are consumed. So there, there could be some physical uh, consequences for infidelity. And I won't go into all that tonight, but but you can, you can think through what those physical consequences might be. And then there's public shame. Public shame. Look in chapter 5, verse 14. The one who committed this, this, this act says, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly. And the congregation. So what I did was known to everyone. There was public shame. Look in chapter 6, verse 32. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Listen to this. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. Pretty clear, right? That there's this public shame and and public disgrace. now, some people try to get around this one. Well, you know, I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what other people think. I'm going to just do my thing. And 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 they think they've kind of gotten around the whole public disgrace and public shame. But I, I just want you to know that that the weight of shame and disgrace eventually will take its toll. And and, and someone that is, has, has entered into this act and is unrepentant and going their own direction, I'm just telling you, there's people they don't want to run into at Walmart. Or Kroger because of their shame and their disgrace. Listen, I don't wanna have to go to Kroger and run if I see somebody coming down the aisle. Do you? What a that's what a what a awful way to live. But there are people that because of their unrepentant actions are are shamed and disgraced for other people even to see them. And so public shame is the real price of infidelity. And then here's a really practical one jealousy and rage from the other person's spouse and and proverbs warns us about this proverbs chapter 6 verse 34 for jealousy enrages a man for he will not spare in the day of vengeance he will not accept any ransom nor will he be satisfied though you give uh, many gifts and so the, just a very practical aspect is jealousy and rage from the other person's spouse which also can lead to public disgrace you never know when that that spouse will come and confront you or try to ruin you or shame you or embarrass you or destroy you jealousy and rage from the other person's spouse is a very real price consequence of infidelity so let me just tell you if if you if you come to me if you ever come to me and say wade uh, infidelity has touched our marriage. Um, I'm going to tell you some things I'll say to you in a few minutes. But one, the first thing I want to say to you is this. Um, maybe not the first thing, but I'm going to say it in our first time together. There are going to be consequences for what you've done. There's forgiveness in Christ. He can wash it away. He can restore you. Set you in a, in a, on a new path. But you need to understand Consequences are coming. And God will help you with the consequences. He really will. He'll help you walk through all that and process that and and stay fixed on Jesus during that. But you need to understand, consequences are coming. It's just just the the reality of God's word and the reality of the situation. That's why we need to always keep the end in mind. If I I do this thing, what will happen? What will the outcome be? And think about the price of infidelity. So we see a father here warning his son, if you go down this pathway, here's what's going to happen. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. The price of infidelity. But Let me close on just a really positive note. I want to close by talking about the joys of a faithful marriage. Now a lot of what I've said is negative. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But I want to talk to you about what it's like when you you have a guarded marriage and you are pursuing Romance and intimacy with your spouse. The first thing is satisfaction. Look in chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. And so fresh water is that which satisfies. It's good water. It's not bad water. It's good water. And so if you, if, if you will drink water from your own well, in other words, stay faithful to your spouse, have romance and intimacy with your spouse, then there's satisfaction that. There's, there's, there's real Lasting satisfaction. I'm telling you, infidelity, sin, none of that satisfies. None of that satisfies. You know how I know that? The, the statistics say that when people step out of the marriage and they, they, they leave their spouse or somebody else, they're twice as likely to get divorced to that next person. Which, by the way, if someone will cheat with you, What makes you think they won't cheat on you? Right? And if you cheated with them, how can they trust you? Scoundrel? Right? And so, there is a satisfaction in just romance with your, your wife. It's, 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 it's a gift from God. It's legal in God's eyes. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Satisfaction. The next thing is security chapter 5 verse 16 should your springs be dispersed abroad streams of water in the streets let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you Uh, scholars believe that what he's saying here is think about what it would be like if 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 your spouse was unfaithful to you she's your well think about if 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 your well was scattered through the streets Your the water that was meant for you is going to somebody else think about how that would make you feel think about if you were the innocent party and your spouse was unfaithful to you. Think about how that would feel. It would not feel good. And so when you have two folks that are being faithful in their marriage, loving each other, pursuing romance, pursuing intimacy, pursuing closeness in that relationship, guarding themselves from, from the, the temptations and infidelity, there's a real security in that. And it's good to be secure in your marriage. It really, really is. And then third is is Joy. Joy. Verse 18 of chapter 5, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, I think that phrase, the wife of your youth, speaks of the covenant. You enter into a covenant with the wife of your youth. The reason I believe that is because of Malachi. Turn to Malachi with me. Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. Verse 13. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. This is another thing you do. The Lord is addressing the people of Israel. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. In other words, God is being distant to them in their worship. Yet you say, for what reason? Here it is. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Same phrase against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So I think when he mentions this wife of your youth, he's talking about the one you entered into a covenant with. You need to be faithful to her. And when you are, back in Proverbs chapter 5, you can rejoice in the wife of your youth. You can have joy in that relationship. And and there is great, great happiness that comes from that relationship relationship you know i've heard people say this before well i just want to be happy you want to be happy pursue the wife of your youth the one you're married to now pursue her fall in love with her all over again that'll make you happy the other will never satisfy it will destroy you so joy and then last is romance it says in verse 19 be exhilarated always with her love and so romance is a is one of the joys of a faithful marriage i said this on sunday I said that God has designed sexual intimacy uh, as a gift to be enjoyed in the boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman. Right? It's a gift. So so this idea of intimacy between a man and a woman is a gift from God. He means it to be enjoyed. It's his idea. So it's not something we should never talk about or something we should never think about. It's a good thing in the right context, in the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. Woman. So romance is a real joy of a faithful marriage. Listen to this quote. It comes from Ray Ortland Jr. And it's a, it's a really clear picture of what I just said. Intimacy, sexual intimacy, is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside of the fireplace, it burns the house down. And what Proverbs 5 is saying is, Keep the fire in the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. That's what he's saying. Enjoy it in the context of of marriage. It's a good thing, a wonderful thing. Uh, Pursue that romance. Pursue that intimacy. It's a good thing. But when it gets out of the fireplace, when it gets out of the boundaries in the context of marriage, I'm telling you, this sexual thing's are like a, a, a raging fire that destroys. And so we need to focus on the joys of a faithful marriage. Again, the best defense is a good offense. Those are just some thoughts about wisdom for your marriage. Now, I want to close by saying this. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? We've all blown it. Now, some people in the life of, of, of our church, undoubtedly, have fallen in this area. They've been unfaithful and, and done the wrong thing. You say, well, I never have. Well, you know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He if you've even lusted in your heart, and God says that's adultery. Maybe you've never committed the outward act of adultery, but in your heart you've lusted. That's, that's immorality. That's wrong. And so, what I want to tell you is this. We're all in need of God's forgiveness. And aren't you glad that God's forgiveness is available? I mean, even David. I mean, adultery and murder. I mean, it, that was ugly. He was a man after God's own heart. And I'm telling you, he went down some very dark roads. And yet, Psalm 51 records he repented. He said, God created me a clean heart, O oh God. Restored to me the joy of my salvation. And, and the Lord did that for him. The Lord graciously restored him when he repented. I think that's what David was probably talking about in Psalm 23 when he said, you restore my soul. You pick me up and put me back on my feet. And so it's just important to say when I, when I preach a message like this, when I teach a scripture like this and say some very hard and direct things, it's important to say that, that God is a God of forgiveness and grace and the God of a fresh start. And so here's the deal. If, if there's things in your past that you're not proud of, it's under the blood of Christ. If you've repented of it and given it to Jesus, he washes it away with his sins. Can I get an amen? And he, he, he holds it against you no longer. He's not going to bring it up against you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he cast those sins into a sea of forgetfulness. So if he's forgotten about it, it's time for you to get past it too. Right? But now that you've been forgiven, you've been restored, now's the time to say it'll never happen again. I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and by God's grace, through God's strength, for God's glory, I'm going to honor him with my marriage, and protect my marriage, and pursue my spouse and sweep her off her feet or sweep him off his feet or whatever the case may be. I, I'm going to have romance in my marriage and intimacy in my marriage. And I'm going to be on guard for those tempters or temptresses that would try to lead me astray. And so I always want to leave a message like this by saying there is grace in Christ. There's no sin that cannot be forgiven by Christ. Adultery can be forgiven. Homosexuality can be forgiven. Sex before marriage can be forgiven. They can all be forgiven by Christ. If you'll see that it's a sin and see your need and call out to him, he will forgive you and wash those sins away. He's a good God. He died for those sins on the cross. So we need to remember that. But we also need to remember what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. Remember the last thing he said to her? Go and sin no more. I'm not going to cast a stone at you. There's forgiveness, but stop doing it. When when people preach on that passage a lot of times, they forget that last part. Stop doing it. It's a sin. Don't do it again, right? Don't do it again. So that's how I want to close out this uh, time.